Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I cook pretty well a few meals. And by a few meals, I mean three exactly. And uh, I know I do pretty well with these because I live in a home. I'm not going to name any names, but where three women for a lot of years have said things like, Dad, please don't ever try to make that again. Please. That is awful. And they critique things that I say. I'll hear, Dad, that was just so cheeseball. I can't believe you said that. Or, Dad, you can't put that on social media. Or, Dad, what, what are you wearing? And so when I hear about these three meals, dang, Dad, could you make this again sometime? That, that's the litmus test that it's, it's pretty good. And so it's a Christmas penantoni French toast. I think I've done that five or six times now. A shepherd's pie and a beef and beer. I marinate beef tips all day and then pour them over mashed potatoes. So that's all straight up comfort food, heavy carbs. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's how I feel about heavy carb food, Doug. So I've learned that I can actually mess these meals up pretty badly. And at the very least, I slow down the cooking process and it takes me like twice as long to make them if I don't make them regularly. If I don't, if I don't cook these meals at least twice a year, I end up starting all over again. And if you're not a great cook, maybe you can relate to this. I hope somebody here can. I will tell Amy, hey, guess what? I'm cooking this week. And she'll be like, thank God in heaven, what in the world has happened, you know? And then I'll walk into the kitchen, and it's like I don't even know where to begin. If I haven't made the beef tips or the shepherd's pie since maybe last fall or the, the, the penantoni French toast since a couple Christmases ago, and that's... I do make it only on Christmas, and I average about once every three Christmases. So when I'm, when I'm about to do this again, I'll, I'll, I'll walk into the kitchen, and I just, I'm like, I don't, I don't know where to start. I'll go to the store to get ingredients I thought I knew, and I'm, I, I'm not even sure I know exactly what I need to get. And then I have to open up my recipe list, and it just slows the whole thing down. And I, it, it, it's actually not as good. And this is so similar to how it works in our spiritual lives. This is how it works when it comes to connecting with God. It's the same idea. Just like vision or an idea of the future, and you hear this at work and in, our, in our, the teams that we, we work on, vision leaks. When vision was crystal clear two months ago, if you don't keep it in front of your team, if you don't keep your eyes on it, it leaks out and you kind of lose the purpose or the direction. It's very similar to connection with God. If you don't practice connection with him regularly, you can wake up or when you're ready to reboot or, you know, I'm going to start again this week. It's like, where do I start? I don't know where to read. I don't know what God's shown me in my life. Has he shown me anything? I remember feeling close to God at one point. I don't know where to begin and if you know that sense, if you know that experience, you're not alone. And I, I know what that has been like. Early in my faith, 
and in faith crisis throughout life? Certainly. And the anecdote to this is practicing the way, the heart, the voice, the words of Jesus regularly. This is where we've been all summer. This is what we've been, we've devoted this summer to. Changing the, the model, the paradigm that a lot of us have grown up in, and certainly I would say the paradigm of the American church, the church is a place you go to for about an hour a week, and you hear things hopefully that encourage you and, and get you level set for your busy week ahead. That is a broken set up for failure paradigm. That is not the church Jesus created. Jesus calls us into practicing, becoming practitioners of what he brought, what he has spoken, the power that he holds. Twice in the Gospels, the Gospels, the four accounts of the life of Jesus here on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, twice Jesus says, even early in the first one, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, you're building a future. Whether you know it or not, you're building a future. When you wake up in the morning, every hour that you spend and every day, the way you think about money, the way you think about your resources, your relationships, your friendships, the way you look at broken things that happen in this world, the way you respond, everything is an investment toward building. And Jesus uses the metaphor of a house. You're building a house. And he says you're building one of two kinds of futures or two types of homes. You're either building one that is not going to have a lot of substance or strength and it will eventually collapse. Or you're building a house, a future of strength. Something that becomes a safe haven, a safe harbor. And he says, you're either building a home, a future of strength by listening to my words and actually putting them into practice... Or you're building a future that isn't a future of substance. It's not a future of strength. And it will actually end up disappointing you. You will become disappointed with your own future. The character that you developed. The way that you responded and invested into people. The kind of person that you became. The way that you used your efforts and talents and abilities and your weaknesses and your, your failures. The way that they were used to benefit and speak life will end up disappointing you because you didn't do those things. You didn't become that kind of person when you hear my words but don't actually put them into practice. Jesus is calling out people who go to church, go to church regularly and hear the words of Jesus, but then they get back to real life. They think real life is now, now I'm ready to get back to work. Jesus says, those of us who actually devote our lives, we center our lives, our existence, our purpose around who he is, his voice, his heart, his character, his power, his unmatched strength. And we practice, we devote our lives to practicing who Jesus is, what he came to model in this world. We're the people that actually develop relationships and speak into lives and look back when we're in the future. Look back at the harbor that we've become. The strength for others that we've become. The, the modeling of hope. Supernatural hope. So we're going to look this morning 
at where we've been this summer. We're going we're gonna to take these few minutes to remember, to review what we've talked about all summer long and what it is to practice, become practitioners of Jesus. And I'm going to start with a new scripture, just two verses actually, two statements out of Psalm 16. And I, I, I could choose so many, so many contexts and places. I've chosen these two out of Psalm 16. We're going to start with verse 8. And, and, and before I actually read verse 8, I'm going to give you this scenario. What if I told you today that I have a couple close friends? I know quite a few real estate agents, but I, I know two or three that I would consider experts. And they've let me in on something. And I'm going to tell this to you today that today, <clears throat> this is a scenario. I don't want you to get too excited. Like Today, until 5 o'clock, there's a house here, here in Loudoun County or Prince William County or Fairfax County, here, here in our proximity, that is, it, it is, it's a short sale, it's a foreclosure kind of situation. And it has to sell for $100,000. And all the assessors have said that when, when it can go back on the market in 60 days, it'll sell for a million dollars. And these real estate agents have said it's not going to be made public for a couple more days. Somebody has the opportunity today. I guarantee... If you're not brand new here and I'm not just a perfect stranger, you trust me to some degree, you, you'd probably be interested or curious enough to just listen a little more. Like, hmm, I don't know who these real estate agents are. Brad seems to trust them. Brad's such a great guy. I really trust him. I want to talk to Brad more about this. I bet, I bet I'd, it would pique your curiosity. Right? Like, tell me more. Hey, Brad, I usually bolt after church and get in my car, but, but I'm going to linger today and try to chat with you for a few minutes. Well, I have something of the secret to how to walk in and sustain connection with God. I have this because God has given it to us in his story, and I've lived enough of this now. The failure of walking out of consistency... With practice, practicing the way of Jesus. And I've walked in enough consistency that I believe words like, this is the secret. This is some of the secret. This is the, the way to walk and sustain. Walk in and sustain the close presence of God in your life. The voice, the words, the actual prompting of God's spirit in your life. To see the strength of God perform things in your life and in the lives of the people around you that leave you speechless. Where hope for the future begins to replace what we're reading and hearing constantly in the news. There's this growing sense of good is emerging in this world. And I don't know how to explain it or prove it because all around us we see negativity and pessimism. But there's something growing inside of me that is about the goodness and beauty of God. This consistent experience in your life, I'm confident. Maybe I'm audacious to say such a thing. Maybe it sounds even arrogant to say, I've got some of the secret here. God has given us the secret. If we'll pay attention to it, if we'll pay attention to the words of Jesus and actually put his words into practice. So one of many examples we could use today of setting this as our priority, Psalm 16, 8. Because I set you, Yahweh... Yahweh is the Old Testament, the Hebrew people's 
word for God, specifically creator God's source of life. This isn't just a religious title, like God up there somewhere. Yahweh meant the source of life, the creator of all that is good. That's all wrapped up in the name Yahweh. Because I set you, Yahweh, always close to me, my confidence will never be weakened. For I experience your wraparound presence every moment. Let's go three verses later to verse 11. Another because. Because of you. You, Yahweh, creator of all life and that is good. Because of you, I know the path of life as I taste the fullness of your joy in your presence. At your right side, I experience divine pleasures forevermore. All right, now let me ask you this. Before we, before we dive into this, this, this review of where we've been and what it is to be practicing the heart and voice and character and strength of Jesus, do you ever hear something like this, one of these texts? Experiencing divine pleasures next to your presence. You ever hear something like that and Maybe you wouldn't say this out loud. You certainly wouldn't say this to Pastor Brad or to somebody at church that's really serious about their faith. But you think it. You think something like experiencing divine pleasures next to your presence. All I can picture are angels and people happy forevermore as they gaze upon clouds and sunbeams shining or radiating from somewhere into somewhere else. <laughs> and it seems really kind of boring or irrelevant, seriously. This is supposed to speak life into my neighborhoods and into my work stress and into this like, never-ending challenge of being a parent. If you think that when you hear words like this psalmist says, experiencing divine pleasures next to your presence, you're not alone. And you don't need to be afraid to say something like that to me. Uh, you may seriously think, I used, young in my faith, I think, I can't let anyone know this. Definitely not my youth leaders. Definitely no one in church. And I think that sounds boring. Where is life in that? It's just, you know, I, I'm old enough to refer to cartoons like Tom and Jerry. And they would give kids the paradigm of angels and demons. And clouds and bad places that look. And I'm telling you, so much of our theology is that kind of imagery. Instead of what God actually says. So to understand what the psalmist is saying here about setting Yahweh, creator God at the center, so that I can be fully confident, regardless of what's happening in my life, I'm confident because something good is happening. We need to go back to understand this, to relate to it, to see it as relevant for the world that we're in today. We've got to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning of where we started this series, to the beginning of Genesis, the very beginning of God's story, Genesis 1 and 2. You and I were created different than anything else in the universe. Different than any animal, any organism, any kind of creation. Humans were designed to image God. We were made uniquely in the image of God. The ability to choose. The ability to create. 
God's language in Genesis 1 and 2 is actually partnership language. We were made to replicate life, to continue the creating process. This is what you crave to be more than anything else. I'm telling you more than a great retirement, more than success in your job, advancing your career, more than having really good friendships and people who like you a lot, more than anything, your deepest craving is to image God. It's how you're hardwired. We're all made this way. And by chapter 3, we had screwed everything up. By Genesis chapter 3, we took God's calling and we warped it and we decided, I'm not going to rule over the oceans and the air, the sky, all the animals, all the possibilities of towns and cities, replicating God's life. I'm going I'm to warp what it means to rule and I'm going to rule for me, for my control. This is what humans did and we broke everything. We became decreators. And in the early pages of this, we see humanity unraveling. Murders are happening. All kinds of famines descend on planet Earth and diseases and accidents and tragedies. And here we are today scratching our heads wondering, where's God in all of this? God has entered our pain. God has entered our mess. The story of God isn't that he's come and brought calamity or disconcern. God has entered the story of human brokenness to begin restoring and calling us back to what we were originally designed to be. And this is why Jesus comes, and it's why he comes as a human. Jesus could have come as a a great horse in the sky. Jesus could have come as a cloud that pulsates light and speaks to us through some kind of code. Jesus could have come as a, just a, A thought in your brain. Jesus came as a human so as to fulfill what humans were supposed to be. It's images of God. Replicating life in all ways, in all conversations, in all circumstances. He became the blueprint. He became the template. And then he says, you have a choice. You can follow the template and actually build a future where you are becoming more and more of the reflection of God that you were always designed to be, or you could just stand there and look at the template. You could just stand there as your future is being built, some kind of future is being built, you can look at the correct blueprint and just look at it or go to church and just hear it, just hear it, hear about it, talk about it over and over. You could put the blueprint into practice, the heart, the power, the voice, the words of Jesus, the character of Jesus, or you could just go to church and just listen. And just talk about it. Jesus just says this straight up to us. He also tells us that our world is teaching us to practice. He's called us to practice his way. The world, society, news, your parents, my parents, colleges, school, workplaces. Our society teaches us to practice All kinds of things that leave us incomplete. We are are taught to practice making our retirement plan really the center of our purpose, of our daily drive. We are taught to practice things like worry and anxiety. We are really good at this. We're really good at it. I mean, the Harvard Business Review article I read recently 
more and more studies, this generation, it's just constantly, this generation, never has there been a generation on planet Earth so anxious, at least since studies have been done, so worried about today and tomorrow. We get really good at the things we practice. Jesus calls us to become whole again, to practice his way by becoming, the, the, the New Testament word is disciple. It means one who actually follows to become a master like the master. But a better word in English, a better translation would be apprentice. That's actually what disciple means. An apprentice, one who actually is apprenticing in the way of whole, human, complete human. And so Jesus invites us to pursue what our deepest craving is. It's our deepest longing to become imagers of God. To become more human. We're used to saying about humans, well, I'm only human. No one's perfect. That's not the way we were designed. We were designed to be people who originally would have said, we're all reflecting God. His heart, his laughter, his beauty, his creativity. And Jesus invites us to become whole. To practice becoming what it is to be whole again. All right, so I want to... End our time here. I'm going to wrap up the series here in this finale of the series by focusing on being super practical about practicing the heart, the voice, the character, the strength of Jesus. A few takeaways, and hopefully you've noted this already. This has been reinforced in you already. It is so desperately important for us. If we have any heart or passion or ambition to become who God designed us to be, we must first read his words. We must read his words. So many people have been taught or have the idea that God's words in scripture are his religious book of duties and rules and laws. Who would read that? Maybe you'd start reading it, but I guarantee you're going to give up. You're going to stop. I stopped. When that was my thought of what scripture was, I just eventually I'd stop. I'd get halfway through Genesis like, man, I want to go outside and play football. I, I've got homework to do. I mean, it's just, it's just not sustainable. That is not what scripture is. Scripture is the story of God. It's God's story. It describes God's view of the world, what he thinks about brokenness. What he thinks about you when you've messed up or you carry shame or regret that you really don't ever want to tell anyone. Scripture tells us what God's view of the future is, what he sees humanity becoming eventually, which is whole again. Back as people in Eden, imaging, reflecting, creating cities that actually reflect his greatness. Scripture is the story of God's rescue plan to make humans whole again. And see, when you have that proper understanding, it, it's motivating. You want more time in Scripture. You want to be consuming that story. Here's an example. I've been spending time this, this summer again in Psalm 27. I'm only going to read you a portion of this. And I just, I, I hope you'll join me in, in reading, consuming Psalm 27 the rest of the month and the weeks ahead. David is talking about the challenges of life Enemies are approaching and threatening him as young king of Israel. There's hardships. 
There's uncertainty ahead. And he says, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. This is really the only thing I'm seeking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The, the Old Testament temple was simply where God had placed his presence on earth. You wanted to be close to God's presence in the Old Testament. You went to the temple. And it became this picture of God has come to earth again. God has made his presence available to humans again. David is saying, I want that presence to define me. I want your closeness to define me. To gaze on the beauty, this is my heart, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above any enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, again, a, a physical picture of his presence. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is life-giving when you're reminded, wow, someone so long ago walked in success and became named by God the, the man after God's own heart because his heart was to pursue more than anything else the close presence of God. In my finances, in my work, my career, my business decisions, my relationships as a dad, as a mom. More than anything in all of my life, I want God's close presence to define me. Pray your words of surrender. Consistently speak. Don't just read God's story of what he's up to, what his plan is to restore the earth. Respond. Don't just think, okay, God knows my thoughts. Respond. Okay, God, now I'm going I'm to, for me, I often walk. I refer to walking. Sometimes I drive. It's raining today. I'll get in my car and I'll just go sit somewhere. I'll go downstairs. There's a place on my porch. There's a lot of places you can go to. Okay, God, now I'm going to respond to your story, to your prompting in my heart. And pray, surrender. Jesus said, pray like this. Our God in heaven, you are great. You're the source of life. You are creator God. Anything good that emerges in my life, it will come from your hand. That's what the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is about. Your realm, your power, your kingdom come in this broken world as it is in heaven. Prayer doesn't start with, God, this is what I need you to do. This is what I need. I need you to fix this. God, this work, this stress point in my life. Prayer begins with, God, I'm surrendering to your plan, what you want to do in me, what you want to grow and develop in me and in my character. Then come our needs, and God, you see what's happening here in my home. You see what's going on here with the person who's sick. God, you know my financial needs. They come secondary to, first, I pursue you. I surrender to what you want, to your plans, to your heart, to your power, to your timing. Last week, we looked at Abraham being willing, as morbid as it seems, willing to sacrifice his own son, not just his own child, but the future, the blessing, the plan of God. Abraham was willing to surrender even God's own plan. That's how devoted he was. That's how trusting he was to God as the source of life. Even if this doesn't make sense, if I can't explain what's happening right now, I'm still going to trust God as the God of, who's the source of life. 
the fishermen, before they followed Jesus, they were clinging to their nets. Jesus was trying to teach and talk to them. They couldn't let go of their work. And then they see the overwhelming power of Jesus and they drop their nets and follow it. They surrender their nets. What they think is the source of defining their life, their future. Okay, the third, the third practicum here, the third way of practicing who Jesus is. I, I struggled, like, do I really want to give them this? Are they really going to do it? Is this really the dramatic ending of the series to write down what God's prompting in you, what God's speaking to you? I can't stress this enough. Write down what God teaches you. Actually write them down. Today, I, I, I have eight or nine old journals from the 1980s, 1990s with a big rubber band around them and that rubber band comes off still from time to time and I read through things that God showed me or taught me. In recent years, my writing down is actually typing. It's a Google document. My journal of what God is showing me is a Google document. Sometimes it's one or two sentences. And sometimes it's a paragraph or multiple paragraphs. There's no rule to it. I just write down what God is teaching me, what he's changing in me, what he wants me to see, how he wants me to look at circumstances differently, what he's growing or developing in my mind, in my heart. And I use the word journal, and I've noted here, don't use the word journal. People don't like that. Men don't like that word. Use the word note-taking. I, I wrote it. Use the word note-taking. Not journaling. Guys, go with me on this. I know I'm generalizing here, which you're not supposed to do in this world today. I'm, I'm kind of, but it's, it's generally, this is a hard concept. When I've taught this in a spiritual growth kind of lab, I mean, it's just always the men who are like, listen, I'll pray, I'll sit by the pond, I'm just not going to write anything down. It is a huge mistake. We have scripture today because. People who experienced God wrote down their experience. They wrote down what God was prompting in them or telling them. And you will forget the amazing takeaway that God shows you today or on Tuesday morning. Two weeks from now, you'll forget what it was. I forget what they are. I'm telling you, early in the summer, I was supercharged. We're still meeting Almost weekly, regularly, we're meeting new people that are coming to Dulles. We're building relationships. Every wine and cheese that we offer, there's new people that are connecting. I was super excited about that. I had launched the series that I was really excited about. Getting really good feedback. People are like, I'm going to practice. I'm actually, this is such perfect timing in my life, you know. And I'm just in rhythm. I'm like, man, God is doing so much. And I kid you not. I woke up on like a Tuesday morning to go on my walk with God, and I'm like, what's going on in my life right now? I know I was excited last week. What was I excited about? I wrote some things down. I, I can't remember. I can't remember what God's doing in my life. Is he doing anything in my life? Am I a pastor? Yeah, I'm leading a church. I, what's wrong with me? It's like all I could see were meetings that day and deadlines and mess, you know, replying back to emails and text messages. And, and I know that's true of you. It's true of all of us. So I go back to my Google Drive. That's my note-taking note. 
that says journal. My Google Drive says Brad's journal. And I mean, in 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh. That conversation last Tuesday, that was a God conversation. I'm reading Psalm 27. I've learned something new from Psalm 27 I'd never seen before. That's right, another family came to church last week. And they sent this really great email. Oh, my goodness. It takes seconds to remember what God's doing and teaching you and growing in you and what he wants to change in you. So I'm going to give you some examples, okay? Maybe this isn't necessary. I'm going to give you three or four examples from my journal, from my notes, from my notes. The first one's from May 22nd, 2023. I tend to title kind of the takeaway here. This one's a little longer. My poured out cup must be refilled, I wrote. We're to pour out our cup to others. God's image, our story, our love reflecting him, and we're to do this every day. But what is empty must be refilled. This is part of the empty feeling I'm suddenly battling. This is May 22nd. Over the past two weeks, after a month of such passionate messages, see, I'm referring to it back in May, passionate messages at church in this new series, even in the increased energy at church and new people I'm meeting. So this was, this was an experience in May I was having. Even after all of this, I must passionately protect my refilling with Jesus for me and our church, for me to experience him consistently. It's a must. And then I ended it with a prayer. So Jesus, I want to pour out and create life every day. Please help me to passionately protect the refilling of my cup with you, for me to be alive with purpose, and for our church to experience you consistently. This is a must, Jesus, so help me to prioritize every day how to refill my cup with you. I realized, as excited and all the energy, our church is growing and there's lots of activity, I haven't been prioritizing God's voice quite as much the last few days, the last week, maybe week and a half. And I will end up empty quickly. Does that make sense? All right, and again, I didn't write this for anybody else to read. This is just for me. Some of these notes may not be crystal clear to you because it's just something that was to remind me later. Here's another example. July 1st. I titled it Psalm 27. I read it this morning and had forgotten how powerful it is. There are people here right now in these seats who should be reading Psalm 27 because of what you're doing, what you're dealing with at work and what you're dealing with in relationships. It's my heart What's said in Psalm 27 is my heart, and it captured my heart when I was very young in my faith. I'm going to attempt to memorize it this summer. And I'm not all the way through it. I haven't memorized, but I've memorized about eight or nine verses now. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's how it starts. You know what that tells me? I was walking one day, and I was just thinking about that first line. If you memorize that first line, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I live in a world that can be dark. And he has entered every part of darkness that I'll ever face. He's my rescuer. See, I'm now taking his story with me on a walk. I don't even have scripture with me. It's here. Okay, another example. Brad's journal, Brad's notes, <laughs> July 7th. Amazing. In Ezekiel 47, the picture of the river flowing 
from the temple. Now, this may not connect with you as much because, again, this was my note to myself. In Ezekiel 47, the picture of the river flowing from the temple, sounds boring, but hang on, the temple being God's presence and beauty, down to the Dead Sea, which at the time, in ancient times, was considered the deadest place on earth. God's river of life flowing from his presence to places like the Dead Sea, making everything alive. The Temple River is a metaphor that represents God's restoring work in our broken world, even his plan to use his church to restore the earth, which results in the deadest place on earth, the Dead Sea, becoming fresh, Ezekiel 47 says, alive, teeming with fish of all kinds, surrounded by fruit trees on all banks, trees that never wither and offer food and leaves that heal. Jesus said, come to me if you're thirsty. And I'll give you water to drink. The Dead Sea becomes Eden. The Dead Sea is going to become the Garden of Eden. Just like anything you can think of in this world or your life that's broken, Jesus has come to begin the restoring process. I was so fired up writing this. Exclamation points show up in my notes when I'm like, oh my gosh, God's speaking to me right now. I don't know if that means anything to you, but just reading it standing here right now, I'm fired up again. God has come Sending Jesus as the source of all life. And in this case, he's pictured as a river that just makes everything alive, everything in its path. Okay, last example. Many dates through the winter and summer of this year, 2023, God has just brought me back and back and back again to the, the, the prayer. God, make your church. Jesus, would you make your church in me and in my neighbor's in our communities, the neighborhoods around us, would you make your church the most exciting idea on earth? That prayer has become powerful for me. I am praying it constantly because it's God's heart and he's getting it deep into me. His church is not supposed to be this collection of a handful of people that are meek and all the regular people are busy doing real life outside. This is what we think of church. Church is for people like us who are meek, just a small group who gather together. It's not for my neighbors. It's not for business leaders in our world. It's not for artists. It's for meek people trying to figure life out. That's not what God's church is supposed to be. God, change my thinking. Your church is supposed to be the most exciting idea on earth. Okay, these are just examples. If you don't write down what God shows you, you will forget it. You will look back on like... I remember feeling close to God a few months ago. Dang, I just feel so far from him. What was he saying? What was he teaching me? Do you see the importance of writing down? I've learned my connection with God. The deepest peace, the deepest joy, God doing beautiful in me and all around me is always my experience when I stop choosing time with God in prayer so that God will advance me, so that God will better my day, so that God will do what I need him to do in my life. Does he care about those things? Of course he does. But my, when my advancement is my priority with God, when that's why I spend time with him, me advancing, me getting ahead at work, me fixing these relational problems, when that's my priority, I quickly lose my spiritual focus and clarity with him. That's actually me trying to control God in my life. When I read scripture for his voice, when I pray for his plan and his power, also that I'm surround, uh, surrendering my agenda and wants to his agenda, to his wants, that's it. That's the secret. That's when I step into 
the movement of God in my life, the activity of God in my life. Read Psalm 27. Read Psalm 16. If you don't know where to start, if you're like, ah, oh, I just don't know where to pick, to pick up the Bible, read Matthew. Read Luke. The first gospel written, actually, wasn't Matthew, it was Mark. Read Mark. Go somewhere every day. Find a bench, find a pond, find a walking path, find a quiet place in your house, and start practicing this. And if you struggle, it's okay, we all struggle. If something doesn't make sense, say, you know, I'm going to ask this question at church. I'm going to ask Brad this question. I'm going to ask this in a group. Join a community group. If, if there's not a community group this fall that works in your schedule, start one. Find a couple people. Go to coffee with them once a week. Become an encourager. Speak encouragement. Practice speaking life. It takes practice. If you're newish here, join us today for wine and cheese, just to hang out and get to know each other better. And don't miss next Sunday where we talk about Jesus' picture of his church and how relevant it's going to become for the SpaceXs and Googles of our world. I mean, if that, if that connection doesn't work in your head, we're going to talk about it next Sunday. God's church is the most powerful, dynamic, most influential entity on the planet. Our society just doesn't know it yet. And I can't wait to talk more about that with you.